Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This week's episode is sponsored by shapeandfoster.com. Shape and Foster is a lifestyle development app that provides monthly actionable insight from six experts in mental health, financial planning, nutrition, fitness, yoga, and a life coach. It is a one-stop shop for self-improvement. The app provides a proactive and informed approach to improving your mental well-being by enabling consistent practices and habits to be built over time. Lifestyle development is about enhancing your quality of life by improving awareness, identity, and potential. One community of actionable insight. Learn all about the six pillars essential to a healthy heart and healthy mind in one unique app. Visit www.shapeandfoster.com for your free 14-day trial. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from the internet, as usual. Going live to two places video-wise. We're live on Crowdcast, also live on YouTube. Hello to everybody watching on YouTube. Hello to everybody watching on Crowdcast. Uh, Or maybe you're listening to this as an audio podcast, in which case, um, hello from the past. It's nice to... Nice yeah, to hear no from judgment's you guys. great. Tell us about your great future. <laughs> I was just telling Pete that I joined Cobra. Uh, I'm That's so sorry. Horrible, I'm, uh, I'm wearing a Shelby uh, T-shirt, um, which has a snake on it, and uh, I just not. I washed out of Joe's. That's like when I had a job, and they were like, "You can sign up for this insurance called Cobra," and I was like, "Fuck you, I will." <laughs> what? <laughs> Actually, Pete, that might have been good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not falling for it. Did they say <laughs> you could sign up for a Cobra? Did they yeah, say it like that? I was like, no way, man. Oh, okay. And that's why you your G.I. Joe name is um, Dangerously Uninsured, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's Snowplow, Roadblock, and Dangerously un- Uninsured. Yep. Yes. Yep. They're like, hey, yeah. maybe, maybe you don't want to go on this mission, Dangerously. <laughs> uh, so, folks, we have a great show for you tonight. I'm very excited about the guests that we have here. We have two amazing guests. Later in the show, Rick Remender is going to be here to talk about all of his books. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to invite in our first guest right here, right I'll now. I'll tell you what. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, she is the writer of the brand new graphic novel from DC called House of L. That is a brand new look at the history of Krypton. It's very cool, uh, and I'm very excited to chat with her about it uh, whenever she gets into the stream here. Uh, it is also volume one. Ladies and gentlemen, Claudia Gray. Hey. Hey. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? 
I am doing okay. Uh, I think we're still <laughs> in the relative values of okay that 2020 mm-hmm. gave us. Mm-hmm. Maybe it yes. a lunar mm-hmm. year. I don't know, but um, that's maybe. the kind of that's the kind of optimism I like to hear. Like maybe it's a moon. <laughs> maybe it's a moon thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just setting the tone here. Uh, so, Claudia, House of L, the first volume, came out last week, I think, at this point. So it's been yeah. out for a week. Uh, it's very cool. I don't know if people who are listening, who are watching, have read it. But, you know, you're, I think we're very used to seeing the story of the House of L through Cal-El, through Jor-El. And there's certainly, we're introduced to Jor-El and his wife here. Um, but it focuses on different characters. And I, I think... From my perspective, I felt like that really gives a fresh new take. Where did that idea first start to not do the typical Superman story that we all know and love? Um, I guess really for me, the whole question has always been, and I mean, since I was a little bitty kid who saw Superman the movie, Mm -hmm. sort of like, how can these people be so brilliant and so advanced and have no idea their planet's about to blow up? Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, our our society has caught up to that belief yes, pretty quickly. I think House of L is is touching on some of that, but uh, in this case, I thought like, what if they can't see it? Mm. And that brought around the idea of sort of genetic engineering, the idea that this is a Krypton where people have been designed to be the perfect scientist or the perfect soldier or the perfect whatever it is by a society that's sort of forgotten that you need cross-pollination, you need different ideas, you need different approaches to things. And, and it's a society where there are a handful of people like Jor-El and like Zahn in this book who are able to look at things differently. The most part, they can't even see this. And so um, Jor-El and soon the title characters of this, uh, not title characters, but main characters of this, uh, Zahn and Sarah, they have to try and look at this from this new perspective, too. Oh, there it is. Uh, Yeah, well, I love these two characters, and they come clearly from very different parts of Krypton. The other thing that I thought was kind of fascinating about this, we've uh, talked about a lot of this new DC line here. Certainly, as you can see, for anybody who's watching the show live from the cover, they've got the little bit of the holding hands behind their backs. But a lot of the books have been much more YA romance focused. This has hints of that, but it focuses much more on the sci-fi and the action. Was that, I assume, that was a specific choice on your part? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, I love romance, and I will defend it for at length as <laughs> a storytelling right. medium. Uh, but, it, you know, the pace of the romance and the meaning of the romance has to come out of the characters and the situation. And it doesn't make any sense for this story to have Zahn and Sarah immediately be, you know, oh, you, you know, and ignore everything else. There's a lot of world building to do. And each of them kind of has to go to a, through a journey before they get to the place where they can even see each other as friends and allies, Mm. much less more than that. You know, this book, I think, sets up the world and creates the connection between them. Well, talk about the setting up the world then, because uh, it's, you know, we've read about Krypton so much through the decades. There's so much lore and different history and conflicting things because that's how comics work. So how did you pick and choose what you wanted to use to build up Krypton society in this book? Well, the first thing they said was don't model it 
on what's come before insofar as that's possible. You you can never really be free of those influences and why would you want to be? But these books are meant to stand alone outside of canon, kind of create their own visions. And so they wanted us to be very independent in that way. And so I both drew on the idea of the genetic engineering and also just visually Mm-hmm. And by the way, just most of the visuals in this are absolutely 100% the genius of Eric Zavadsky, wow. who is just amazing. Yeah. But the so one dynamic. thing, yeah, it's really great. The one thing that I really thought about was the Superman symbol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one piece of design we have that is Kryptonian, you know? And I was like, okay, everything's going to be really angular. Everything's going to be really stylized. Color, I mean, it's a muted colors in the book, but color has meaning and significance. I mean, you look at the Superman suit, these, you know, it doesn't look like a planet that went around in, like, beige all the time, does it? <laughs> <laughs> not, not New Yorkers. Uh, yeah, they, they, they looked kind of bold in that area. So uh, I really think Eric did an amazing job of kind of taking that one very small visual cue and really pulling it through those cities i think when you look at that you can kind of see like yeah you would believe that the superman symbol is something that arose from that culture Hmm. uh this is part of a planned trilogy so when you're pacing i mean this is more of a general question i know you've written a ton of books at this point and trilogies and series and other things but when you're planning out something like a trilogy how do you decide what you're sticking in that first book so you're really grabbing people versus saying, like, this is one-third of the story? Um, yeah, and, and that was something that I definitely had to work on because originally when I went to D.C., I pitched an idea for a book, and they're like, there's a lot of world-building in this, but we like it. What if it was two books? And so I built it out more you know, into two books, and they're like, what if it was three books? And so <laughs> it did begin as just one story. And so it had to be about the stages of the story. And I think this one very much is about creating the connection between Zahn and Sarah and explaining why they are now standing apart from this sort of lockstep mentality that so much of Krypton is trapped in. This pulls them back and lets them have the perspective and start seeing their world differently for the first time. And from then on, we get to explore what they see and what they discover, I think, is more book two. And then book three is what do they do about it? Mm. Oh, well, I mean, what are are some of the areas of of Kryptonian culture that you really want to, like, sort of push down the line a little bit? Um, Because I I feel like as Superman, uh, Superman fans out there, it's such a, like, hard stop on uh, mm-hmm. Krypton, our knowledge of Krypton, that it does feel like it's such a specific culture, the genetic engineering, everyone being siloed in their own mm-hmm. sort of family structures and all that. Like, where's what's the frontier for you as you get to really build out this world, which is something that's so rare in comics uh, like this? Uh, one thing I was really happy about, and we draw upon it in this first book, but it keeps coming up throughout it, is... You know, not many people live down on the actual surface of Krypton anymore. It's so built up and it's so artificial. You know, I think, I'm not sure, but I think the only place you see plants are in Jor-El and Lara's quarters. Like, there's nothing organic around these people anymore. But if you do go down to the surface, where people go sometimes for meetings that should be secret, 
Yes. Uh, That's what I do my meetings too. Yes. But like you get to see some old temples and I pulled in the idea that there was sort of ancestor worship, which isn't very serious anymore. Most people aren't literally behind it anymore, but that, you know, this is still an element because it is a society where your family and your line determine so much of who you are. So I thought like, okay, if they had this history with ancestor worship, that would really um, tie that together. And it also let me throw in one visual cue I gave to tie it back to anything from before. Um, In the ancient Roman empire, they had some ancestor worship as well. And they kept these wax masks Mm -hmm. of the ancestors around in the house. And so I had there be in some of these temples, some of these old masks you know, the idea being that it's like that mask you see in Superman the movie, which, right. you know, when I was eight, that imprinted on me really hard. <laughs> yeah. I've read and watched and talked a whole lot of Superman since then, but that movie still really owns a lot of my imagination. So I got to tie that together. I really liked your take on Zod in the book. This is obviously pre-fighting Superman all the time, Zod. So we get to see him be a little more officious, a little more stately, uh, definitely being friendly or at least working with Jor-El. What Mm -hmm. what was your take on him as a character versus the villain we know from modern Superman continuity? Well, Zod is also one of the people who can see that something's terribly wrong on Krypton and that's bonded him with Jor-El and Lara. They're able to look at this and they know change has to happen. Now the answers they're coming up with for how that change is going to take place are kind of different for Zod than they are for Jor-El and Lara. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately I think Zod begins to also see this as an opportunity. I mean, he genuinely believes and probably is correct that what he's trying to do would be good for Krypton. It also happens to be very good for him. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but I think that happens sometimes. You see people that really you know, get behind a cause and then it reflects on them in a good way and all of a sudden it's all about, it's all about them. This is definitely getting ahead of ourselves, but given yeah. that there are the three volumes and even with free reign, I think I have a pretty fair sense what happens to Krypton at the end here. Uh, is is the series a tragedy? Like, should we be looking at that like that or are you not approaching it that way? Let's put it this way. I I wanted an ending that wasn't Krypton blowing up and I came up with one. And that's all I'm going to say for another two years. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Great. Now uh, there's just a, not everyone gets in a little pod. Gets <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything more than that. It's a different. I can't say anything more. I'm, I'm going to yeah, spoil totally. it. No. Uh, yeah. Since you have had the book out for a week, what has the response been like? I know we're in a weird time anyway. There's a couple of things going out in the world. A elsewhere. couple things. Yeah. 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 People are somewhat distracted, but um, mostly the response has been really good. I've been. Um, you know, really heartened by that and honestly really relieved. This is my first graphic novel and it's both a real joy and a huge, like call your bluff to be like, Oh, would you like to write graphic novels? First out Superman. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to try that universe. You know, it's like, I think I said in one interview, it's like somebody teaching you to ride a bike and then going, okay, Tour de France, go. <laughs> um, but it's the really good response has been wonderful, and I've been really grateful to see it. And I hate kind of that this is coming at pandemic time, not only because I hate the pandemic, which obviously I do, 
good you know, good but um, I really had hoped to be out at a whole lot of Comic Cons. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't think we're going to be seeing much of anything before about October, but, you know, this series is going to be going on for a while. So I do look forward to yeah. being able to really interact with some readers at some point in the not terribly distant future. I mean, uh, just rewind okay. to like back in March, we're like three whole weeks inside. Are you yeah. kidding me? And now we're like, I can't oh, handle we're this. Eight <laughs> more months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hopefully by the time volume two comes out, we'll have a better yeah. story. We can chat about it in person. Uh, the book, is great. I love it. Yeah, uh, congratulations great. on it. Uh, before we let you go, anything else you want to plug? I know you have a lot of different projects in the works. So many different projects. Um, <laughs> thanks to COVID, a book that was supposed to come out in October is coming out in February, which is my first thing in the Star Wars The High Republic initiative. Uh, it's the first YA novel. It's called Into the Dark. Um, and I can't really talk too much more about that. I'm here to talk about House of L, but yeah, having back-to-back releases has that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, good, exciting, but also very busy, exciting. I I am holding back all the questions I want to ask you. We'll ask. Yeah, you I know. I yeah. <laughs> got to have me back <laughs> on a different. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Claudia, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations again on the book, and great chatting with you. Okay, uh, great chatting with you guys too. All right, have a good night. See ya. All right. Once again, that was Claudia Gray. The book is called House of L. First volume is out from DC Comics right now. Uh, and it really is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, like we talked about, there's some great sci-fi elements in it in particular. Yeah. Some really good action. So highly recommend checking it out. And what's uh, nice is it's, it's a different take. It's a fresh mm-hmm. take on it. So it's, it's nice to even though it's something you think you know, you kind of get to see it from a different angle. Yeah, it's, like, uh, it's like a TV show called Krypton, like a great uh, new angle on the Superman story that we all like. You're just we all it. up right now. Uh, yeah. First stand-up guy in the comments asked, "What imprint is it?" It's DC Inc. Uh, like a lot yep. of the other non-continuity graphic novels we've been talking about. Uh, it's great, though. Uh, definitely recommend bring, uh, checking it out. Yeah, definitely. Let's bring our next guest into the stream. He is the writer of a million different books. Uh, a <laughs> bunch of them are coming up right now, including Seven to Eternity and The Scumbag. Uh, Deadly Class is still ongoing. Uh, Lowe is wrapping up as well. So yes. lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, very excited to have him here, uh, particularly on the eve of uh, two books, the next issue of Seven to Eternity, which is the second to last issue. It's coming out on January 20th, The Scumbag Number 4. Also coming out on January 20th, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Remender. Hello. Hey. 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 Yeah. you worked. Yes, we it did worked. it. It's always a crapshoot. Uh, every single time I have this, like, bit of nervousness right before the guest comes in where it's just. Yeah. This no, I have it every single time I do one of these things. I'm like, hit yeah. the button. I'm like an old person in like 1880 looking at a phonogram. I'm like, damn, come down the plastic. Where's this damn noise coming from? Well, and you're coming to us from a white pocket dimension. Uh, Look, where you're a bit I don't want to know what's going on back there. Yes. <laughs> no questions. I, uh, no questions. I have had enough. I've been doing a, a, a little press because it turns out I'm locked inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we are we we fled our house, and I'm renting a house away from humanity, where where uh, where I my I hide my family from the plague. Smart, smart. Just start things casual. So I'm hiding from the plague that's, that's ravaging our country. Yeah. Right, guys. It's just very light. You, you make it sound like this is news to us. <laughs> Wait, what plague? What you give me some about? details? I want a couple what's of details plague? of it. What's he What's he talking about? <laughs> And I, I this ha- this room I'm in where I normally do these things because my kids are homeschooling in the room next door is a bedroom and it's yellow 
and it's really garish and not great. And so my wife got me this so that I cannot show people that room. Like, mm-hmm. what looks like you, you know, like that looks like a kidnap. Uh, uh, like your basement looks for sure like that was the last thing, the last, you know, like at least some co-ed saw. Uh, <laughs> somebody shears justin he's like why the lights oh. <laughs> yeah justin has these horrifying this is where shears. you're coming from <laughs> right uh, and it's not a murder dungeon <laughs> yes that's you get me and now oh, you're sort of you look like our dystopian uh, overlord who we've come to get our next assignment from that's right it's clean <laughs> It's a, it's, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's better. I feel like it's very, it's very clearly, there's clearly a shadow. It's clearly right behind me. I'm like, I have, I'm in a land of, of, of nothing. It, it definitely feels like it's going to, at some point, some point midway through the interview, it's going to fall down and there's just something horrible is happening back there. Yeah. Someone's going to be hiding their identity. It's like, oh, that was a terrible amount of blood in that. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of blood and people dying in amazing segues like that, let's talk about Seven to Eternity, which is about to release, I believe, its second to last issue on January 10th. Uh, this book has been awesome. Just an incredible ride. And I'm... I'm hesitant to talk too much about spoilers, but I, I think the big thing that we talked about with the last issue is this feels like a story where you're almost flipping uh, who we think is the good guy and who we think is the bad guy and playing with our sympathies there. Is that, in, in the biggest vagaries, kind of on the right track in terms of what you're trying to do with this book, or is that way off? No, I mean, I think that that's one of the, one of the goals was, I think that in our own thinking and in my own thinking as a human being, I was in a situation where I, where I, I of course saw my point of view in this situation that I was in, and I was dealing with some people that I thought were were um, purely villainous, and I was I was so righteous in my anger, and those people are wrong, and I'm right, and we all do it, and so um, I, I started to concoct the the story, and this is going back six six years ago now. And I wanted to say a couple of things with it, but one of the things I wanted to make sure to do was to not let either character fall into their own righteousness or let either one be wholly righteous because it's it's not a service to any reality I've been in. And the more I dig through things, I think we can all find our culpability in any of these things in life. And there's always some nuance, right? And I know that as a, as a, as a society, we're not really excited about nuance anymore. They get super liked on it on, on Twitter. I find nuance. <laughs> yes. Great place to go digging around for nuance. Yeah. People love the nuance on Twitter. If I know the place to go, Oh, well, look, this guy's got a 20 post, you know, think piece here. About <laughs> uh, I'd love to see your faves. I'd love to see a rundown of your faves on Twitter. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, it was. It's a story where I think that, and I don't want to give too much away. We've got a couple of issues left to go, um, and I, I, it's important that I think in, in any story you try to do that. I think that we've got to a point where there's 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 way too much, and I think that the, the prevalence of the superhero genre and you know and and how widespread that has become has led to a lot of very clear delineations between hero and villain. And I, I find those stories to be a little, a little boring. So hopefully, uh, hopefully by the time we land this plane, this won't be that. 
Well, and I have a question in that sort of vein. I feel like so many of your books, um, they really, we buy in on the genre, the beautiful artists that you work with, um, and, and then eventually you punch us in the neck with philosophy. Um, you really, like, sneak up on us with these big ideas that you're just talking about when it comes to, like, who's right, who's wrong, and righteousness. Which comes first when you're coming up with an idea? And maybe it's different for different books, but... Um, does the like, oh, I want to speak about this. Let me back into this type of story. Or are you like, I want to tell this sort of fantasy story. And that gets me into this like righteousness point of view. Uh, so I think in most cases it is, God, it's really hard to say because it, it's always, it's always a mix. Sometimes um, I don't think I knew what the philosophical uh, or what the, uh, what, what the, what the, thing I wanted to say was with Fear Agent, for example, until I was mm. a Fear Agent, and I was realizing, you know, uh, uh, it kind of clicked into place, but for something like Seven to Eternity, or, or Tokyo Ghost, or Deadly Class, or Black Science, or Death or Glory, or some of the, the things I've done in the last six, seven, eight years, um, it's hard to say. They, they come in around the same time. A, a lot of it will be like a, an initial visual idea, uh, and then and then I'll... I'll, I'll through the day or in the shower realize like, Oh, that's a really good place to talk about like death or glory. For example, was a really perfect place to talk about um, when my wife was diagnosed with ankylosis spondylitis and rheumatoid arthritis, we had no insurance and we couldn't get her insurance. And this is before Obama fixed the pre-existing condition laws. And so we went into debt on credit cards, paying for all of these procedures for her and I got to taste firsthand what happened. And she was, she was uh, you know, uh, an immigrant. Anyway, I won't get into the whole thing. But I realized with Death or Glory that it was an opportunity to tell a story about the, the, the crumbling healthcare system and what we all do when we're desperate to protect people we love. Um, yeah. And then to take the sort of, but then at the same time, take my love of the visuals of things like um, um, Smokey and the Bear and Convoy and these things like yeah. that on HBO all the time with, uh, you know, uh, uh, those, those, those wonderful 70s aesthetics and the sort of romance of the convoy and how tired I was of working all the time. And if I could join the convoy, I'd be out there <laughs> on, the, on the great American highway and every other convoy driver would be my brother. And breaker, breaker, where you are, you know. <laughs> all comic writers secretly want to be on a big old convoy. <laughs> Uh, following up on what Justin was talking about, and I think you, you touched on this, so it may be the same kind of answer, but I always feel like when we approach one of your books, uh, I always want to wait for the second issue to really figure out what it's about. And the reason I say that is because you always have these amazing hooks right at the first issue, and I'm like, oh, okay, got it. That's what this book is. And then there's always pulling the rug out under it feels like in the second issue where it's nope book wasn't that it's actually this other thing and that's kind of where it follows from there do you feel like that when you write do you create those two issues as a set or is that uh you just are we just, <laughs> are we just talking are we crazy <laughs> no you guys are clearly quite stupid uh, <laughs> i knew it fair. i knew it seems fair. We're very stupid people. <laughs> it's sort of a subhead for our podcast, really. No, I mean that's. I think that that's right, and I think that, like, for me, anytime I feel like anything is on rails, um, film, television, video games, it's why we all love open world. Don't tell me where to go. Let me go. 
Um, there is something about when I know that the intent is to take me on a on a on a on a uh, uh, it's a small world ride on rails, and I'm you're going to show me what, and I kind of can predict where that's going. I don't enjoy those sorts of uh, stories, and I think that the idea should always be. And I think I hopefully do this more often than just the first couple of issues. I like to try mm-hmm. and figure out those waypoints along the way where I naturally find a place to turn the car and and drive off a cliff. Uh, and I, I think that um, it keeps us, at least for me as a, as a reader, when I'm reading a novel or if I'm seeing a, you know, a, a TV show or a movie, when I see that the, the, the creators are willing to do some very drastic, un, unexpected things, that unpredictability keeps me excited about what comes next, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, let me uh, ask a question sort of uh, to you for Pete, uh, maybe a little bit, because um, Pete reads, feels everything that happens to every character in the comics that he reads. And I feel like you really run, you're talking about right turns off a cliff. I feel like your characters feel it in every single uh, move you you pull them through. Um how do you, how does that feel for you? Are you like I can't wait to really punish these people that I created, or are you uh, are you feeling it in the same way alongside them? I think that that's the really the joy of of writing is that you want to inhabit these characters, even the characters you don't like. You're trying to get their perspective and their POV. I try to do that with the villains as much as the heroes because the you know you know whoever a hero or a villain is, but ultimately the the um, I think that the, the, the antagonist you know, is only as strong as the protagonist and vice versa. And so you're trying to inhabit them and care about them in equal measure, which ultimately means if you do that and you do care about them, um, which is frankly the only reason to read fiction, you know, is to, you know, characters, everything. Uh, I think that you should hopefully want or, or not feel great when you do the bad things to them. Uh, there's like deadly class. There's been stuff I've had planned where I'll, I'll write an outline of two years and I'll spend a couple of weeks and I'll call Wes and I'll type up stories and I go, okay, that's like a two year plan. And it's really kind of easy when you're broad strokesing it, you know, it's sort of like being in the writer's room and throwing ideas at a wall versus the, um, granular execution of that thing. (laughs) And you'll grow to care about a character, and you're just writing them, and you're in this flow, and it's such a—it's the thing I get. So I'm so addicted to it. I, I, I love it. I love getting into that other world and, and just taking it these places and saying things to these characters. But of course, then I get to that point where I have to arm wrestle with myself as to whether or not I have the. Oh, I can't do this. There's stuff in Deadly mm-hmm. called West. I'm like, okay, I can't. I don't. What? 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 what this <laughs> I know we talk. I pitched this thing. Are you sure? And he'd be like, "No, you're right. We can't do that." And then I'd sit down and, and go. There was one thing, one issue where Wes and I both agreed we can't do that. That's aw- that's <laughs> awful. That's just too much. We love these characters, and we got off the phone. And I proceeded to take the outline, and then I just broke it into pages. And I pretended that we weren't going to use it. <laughs> I, I, I broke it into pages. I wrote the script, and I sent it to Wes, and he was like. Really? <laughs> You're a heartbreaker. You're a stressed out God. I mean, it's uh, hard thinking about this. It's weird that you brought it up. I was thinking about it today. There's things that there's also been times in one book in particular, and I won't say what it is, where I pulled the punch. I was ready to bring down the punch from that outline, this whole thing. And I was like, I can't. I can't. I love this. I can't do it. And I think it's weaker for it. I think it's a little, I think, I think it's a little weaker. Now, speaking I, of deadly class, like, 
for us, we were huge fans. And then to see, like, how could he do this in a TV show? This is so insane on page. Like, I can't imagine. And then just seeing the TV show and all the amazing choices that were made. I mean, Brian Posehn was killing it on that show. There was so much, like, action and amazing stuff. Like, what's it like to have that live in your brain and then see that on television? Well, I mean, I got to make it. I was the showrunner. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. That's, and I, that, I, how was I, I was going to just ask, being the showrunner of a show, like, that you literally, you're in it so deep, and it's such a, I feel like you're such a meticulous writer to then be meticulous about everything on set is so intense. (laughs) It was, and I care, and I love it. You know, it was my dream, that was my dream project, and I'm sitting there, and I'm being, I'm being trained along the way with Joe Russo and these amazing people, and had all the support, and uh, God, what a just, it, it was a top to bottom, a dream come true. Uh, I think that it unfortunately was a cable network's last hope to to make people watch live cable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's coming back. <laughs> I'm sorry you still couldn't save it. So because of some of the machinations, it's why, like, it hasn't streamed in America still. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it streamed in, like, 18 countries and was the number one show in Germany for a month. And it's the German book. It's huge in Germany. I'm like, <laughs> wow, comic books. Um, uh, yeah, when, when that hit, I was like, I, I, we were talking about how, like, well, so maybe if he does it in Germany and then we stream <laughs> and then like, oh, I don't know if that's really yeah. um, how it works. <laughs> you know, I'm working on a couple of other shows now in a movie and I got a lot of other stuff going on, but I still I still have that that I love the show so much and everybody involved became family after four years of, you know, wow. building it and getting the pilot together and, and shooting the season. I just and, and it was Wonderful people, top to bottom. We just all love each other like a family and living up there in Vancouver. Anyway, I'm now drifting off into another question. You asked me <laughs> to watch that translation happen, and I will yeah. say there are things in the book and in the show that are based on my real life, and there were moments, and I, I don't tell people what's what, but there, um, there were moments that I was watching uh, that I, you know, you're exhausted. It's, it's, it's day, you know. 38, you're in Vancouver, it's 5 in the morning, and all of a sudden you realize they're reenacting something that you and your friends did. <laughs> and, you know, that's like, and I just would feel like, you know what, that's like the most, if I could, you know, it's amazing. It's a fucking a crazy, wonderful, amazing thing. And I'm so proud of the show uh, and, and what we did on it that sure. it was a heartbreak that we didn't get to do more, but uh, I still hold on to this excitement when it finally gets on a streaming service in, in <laughs> where people go to watch things that, uh, that yeah. have this, like the rebirth that it had in Europe uh, a couple yeah. months back, which was all of a sudden thousands of people on Twitter talking about it and this whole explosion, but in, yeah. in, in other countries. Yeah. Anyway, it's a wild experience, but it's been, it's, it was, it was an incredible joy. Uh, I you'll get a whole other you'll get a whole other premiere with none of the work that you already because you already exactly. did. I mean, that's true though. Like when yeah. it finally does find the streaming service, yeah. Uh, I mean, not to we'll we'll get back to the comics in a second, but I'm curious, given that you were saying it is hard sometimes to take the characters on the page and put them through the ringer. What's that like when you translate that to real people on the TV show? Is it the same? <laughs> is it even more difficult? Well, I mean, like as you know, like. The Deadly Class, the initial premise, is is Battle Royale, the TV show. But mm-hmm. I wanted to also mix in the optic nerve uh, of it all to where you get into the slice of life and the 80s youth skate punk scene that I grew up in and, and all of these various things. 
So that by the time you get to Battle Royale, you're like, no! What <laughs> <laughs> kind of succeeds at that? And Battle Royale was going to be the second season of the TV show. And I do recall um, there was a point when I was writing notes for the outline of season two because we thought everything was moving forward. And I started writing, rewriting the, some of the same things that Wes and I decided that we couldn't do, but I just wrote mm. the script. Mm. I hit those points in the TV show. And now I know these actors and I love them. You know, <laughs> all, these kids are so great and they're all so, so smart and talented and vibrant and funny and wonderful. And we would, you know, we, we did become a, you know, a, a family as cliched as that shit sounds when you hear it. And now I'm hitting this battle royale point in the story. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So in terms of the translation, it's a joy, like the comic book store stuff. Um, when when Marcus has eaten the burrito and had the night of of, of bad times, um, that happened. That's a true story. So like, there was a moment where we were like laughing, like, "Why did you write this?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's crazy." <laughs> Just came to me, Random. not from experience, not real, not real. I certainly, never shit my pants in front of a kid like that, though, because that was terrible. Uh, well, going from one book where somebody shits their pants to another book where somebody shits their pants, let's talk about uh, the scumbag, uh, which I believe uh, was. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, this book, I think you said this on Twitter, This, or maybe it was the end notes of like the second or third issue, but this is one of your biggest books of all time, like came out even bigger than yeah. you thought it was. Yeah. Why, like, is it the premise that hooked in people? Is it the art? Is it the time period? Why do you think this specifically grabbed people as hard as it did? Um. You know, I've been writing drama and strictly writing drama for so long. I think Tokyo Ghost has the most of my humor in it, and Deadly Class has definitely uh, uh, bits of humor sprinkled into it. Um, but I came up doing comedy, and I came up doing books like Captain Dingleberry, which is sort of an absurdist love letter to to um, Frank Zappa. Uh, mm. And I and I did a thing called Blackheart Billy, which is very similar to the Scumbag, and that it's a, a, a it's a skate punk who's anyway I go through all this stuff, but um, my background is, is in, in satire, and I really love writing that stuff, but the, the world being what the world is, I've spent the last 15 years doing, doing different genres, but sinking into to, to sort of serious uh, uh, genre. And the world got to be a lot. The world got to be a little bit too much. Um, and I realized I needed to write satire and do something completely just fearlessly goofy, and I'd had this idea, and he also, you know, I think that at the time, you, you know, we've seen the polarization of the country and all of the insane stuff that's been going on and tempers flaring and the ugliness. And so I sort of turned all that into a James Bond world um, of, of some far left versus some far right. And in the middle is just this uh, fentanyl addict dirtbag who doesn't vote or has no political affiliation or cares. He's the guy who in 1979 was working on the Trans Am playing Iron Maiden, um, you know, <laughs> cracking a schlitz like, hey, brother, you guys got to get back up there. <laughs> he's McConaughey from Dazed and Confused grown up, right? Yeah. And he's, he's a little of the big Lebowski and these various characters. We all love to watch the, you know, to be voyeurs with the, with, with the loser and the scumbag. And I really thought, and, and I truly, this is, I thought this was going to be like, not, not a, I didn't think this was going to sell. I just needed to do it for me and to mm -hmm. 
try to make myself <laughs> to laugh again, to like sit there and like, you know, to write a comic book and every issue of this, that's the, the goal is while I'm writing it, I need to make myself laugh at least two or three times and feel like ch- a chuckle, even if it's, a, if, if it's the silliness of it all or whatever. And so I think that there's probably an aspect of where everybody's at, where the, that silliness and the satire um, was like a palate cleanser to the reality we live in. Yeah. I mean, on that note, it's such a tricky thing to do a comic book that deals with politics or the real world in any way, just given the production schedule of everything. Um, This does feel relevant for better or for worse, because we're still very much in that moment. But uh, how how do you hit that, knowing that you're still a couple of months out from when the comic released, but you still want to say something that is culturally, culturally relevant? Excuse me. Um, I think that what's interesting about imagination, and I say this all the time, is imagination exists in, exists as far as I understand it and what I've read so that we can predict the future and, and, and prepare for it. It's the only reason as evolutionarily we have this thing called imagination. It's not that like as monkeys we didn't need to go like, well, Star Wars is going to take me to a land of magic and little critter named Yoda. Uh, I, <laughs> the original Neanderthals survived by cosplay, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All of these things exist evolutionarily for a reason for survival. And imagination exists to predict the future. And I think that writers and people who are ingesting as much news and reading as much as I do, and at the same time writing, I do feel like we have the ability to use that muscle to be, to be a bit predictive, And I think that, um, like, uh, Tokyo Ghost was terrifyingly predictive of a lot of things. Uh, You know, I started writing that, like, a good year before Trump, uh, you know, uh, was a thing. And you could just smell the zeitgeist. You can just smell this happening, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I think. And so you have to hit those ideas, and you have to let go of the fear of reaction so you know you have to let go of all of it you have to make sure that you've vetted it thought it through and that uh what you're writing is simply what you want to write at the end of the day and you if you overthink it um if you let the internet inform it then you'll hurt it i've i've you know i've we just had that conversation with another writer this week we've both agreed that there were some things we'd done in the in, within the 20 year span of our career where internet response had terrified us into changing a story mm-hmm. or changing a thing. And that looking back now, you can see the internet was wrong and that the story turned to shit because of that fearful reaction. So at some point you, you're, you, I look at it like you're, you're putting, you're putting yourself out there to write the thing, the way you want to write it. And sometimes you'll get a, a, a kiss a little, a soft little kiss. <laughs> a little Twitter kiss. Sometimes you get whacked in the noggin. <laughs> oh, uh, so true. Uh, one question, one more question there. Um, so you're, uh, you're, a lot of your books um, have ended, and then you're bringing low and seven to eternity to an end. Um, which one of all, everything that's ended so far um, of your independent stuff was the hardest to sort of move on from? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, emotionally, I think, like, they all are. Like, I just yeah. wrote uh, Dave McKaig dropped the final. Like, we've just, the last issue of Low, we've worked for 10 years on it, so we just, uh. we just let it be late, and we just have been great. Yes. And with some of these panels are like, yeah. Jeff Darrow's got nothing on what this is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, and, and so as I put the, I finished the script, and I got to the last few pages, and I put the last, 
bits in there. And it was like, oh, it was crushing. It, it was 10 years of, of thinking about, you know, it started off with writing Stellis as a manifestation of my therapy and wanting, <laughs> to, wanting to create something out of that, what I was learning about positive thinking and what I was learning about in there. And now she is a, a I don't want to give any of the story away, but she's a bright light in an increasingly dark world. And it never, yeah. that story never meant as much in the zeitgeist grand scope. It was always a very personal thing. And here I am in a world where optimism and the ability or the, even the notion of hopefulness is like, <laughs> I, I don't even know what, what, what you would apply to it. Is it, is it, is it, it's not cliched. It's just not a thing. None of nobody has, nobody's sitting around looking at all of these things between the rise of fascism and climate change fires and a pandemic and going like, yeah, things might, things are looking good. <laughs> I feel like now hopefulness is like immature or it's like sort of like, like get, you're a kid, get out of here. We're all over here being mad and sad. <laughs> and that was always the challenge of Lowe's that it can feel naive. And I'm a pessimist and it can feel as a cynical pessimist. It always felt naive to me. And the challenge in that book, and I, I feel like I've, I've done, I've accomplished this in, in it, is to write that optimism from a place of overcoming our natural cynicism and that naivete in, in the face of overwhelming odds that shit looks awful. Yeah. And so I would say that all of them have, you know, like, but anyway, the, to answer your question, they all have, uh, I'm almost done with Seven to Eternity. I've got one more issue to script. Um, they, they all kill you a little bit. Death or Glory was the hardest uh, recently because it ended. My dad passed away. And um, after and I took the eulogy I gave at his funeral. And I had, I had processed a lot of my dad being sick and dying in seven in Death, Death or Glory. As she's doing all these things to try to save her dad. I'm traveling to my parents' house. And we were doing the same thing with all the doctors. And it's a metaphor for a lot of that. And then um, at the end of it, I took the eulogy that I wrote for my dad and I adjusted it to be for uh, 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 a major major character in the book. Uh, I guess I just gave that. If you read, (laughs) (laughs) I guess you know the ending. (laughs) Read the book anymore? That's just saying you have all money. Great! Thank you. Wow! What a load of nice of you. Uh, we got a bunch of questions here on YouTube. You're good, Rick. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, I, that I want to read off. Uh, one here from Ramsey Hassan says, when so much content now acts as bread and circuses, distracting in these tumultuous times, I'm fascinated by the punk values in your work. How important is punk and anti-authoritarianism to your work? Everything, but not... <laughs> you can't look at it, I think, as you get older... These, these philosophies need to grow as well, and you need to question them. I think black science is a lot of me looking at the – is questioning what if I were to maintain – had maintained those, like, those those Bay Area when I was living, you know, south of Oakland and, and going to Gilman Street and doing all that hardcore punk business. If I had maintained that strangeness, I will not sell out. <laughs> I will – you know, like my family – my eventually I sold out. Eventually I had children – and the children were like, yeah, with diapers and food. It's hard to be punk when you're changing a diaper. Let me be honest. It's, hard to be punk. it's also hard to be like, hey, you know, like, check it out. 
uh, we got to stay hardcore. So I can't do any, I can't go work for that even corporation because, you know, whoopsie do, I got this idea in my head that I shouldn't have to. So the compromise, there's a lot, and Seven to Eternity has aspects of that talk of compromise and what we all do as we grow up. But I think that the uh, the core values are interestingly like I think that like if 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 Jello Biafro and and Ian McKay and Henry Rollins are sort of uh, my Hemingway, if they're the voice mm-hmm. of Gen X, the beating heart, man, they were ahead of their times. And you can like you can say Glenn Danzig turned into a Republican asshole, but he was always a silly guy anyway, going like <laughs> hell, horror, hell, horror, hell, skull, skull. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I like that song. It's fun. But I don't turn to Glenn Danzig to hear his thoughts on shit. Um, <laughs> like I, it wasn't like in 1986 I heard a Glenn Danzig album, and I was like, oh, my God, i got to kill my mom. This <laughs> <laughs> is crazy what I've been doing. No, you hear, you hear, you know, you hear, you hear, you hear, you hear Minor Threat, and you go, oh, there's other people that are like me, that, that are like, oh, this misogyny is weird. All this rock and roll music about, like, you know, Titties and butts and cars and shit. You're like, I don't like it either. And you didn't get the internet. So you find a, a, you know, I had a buddy take it from a 45 and put it onto a cassette for me. Anyway, I think that it's hugely informative while, uh, and also it's interesting to process it in the future as like a member, Mm -hmm. as as a member of the Gen X underground that's not only misunderstood, but just forgotten and left behind. I think people still think they, you know, didn't, were, were, were you guys into grunge? And we're like, no, God, yeah. <laughs> you still don't get us. They moved on to millennials. Sorry, you guys didn't spend enough money. <laughs> yeah, they did. It's a fact. I've read books about that have broken it down, where it's like yeah. they couldn't figure out how to market to us, and so they're yeah. like, well, this Britney Spears thing is taking off, so that Gen X. Whoop, Later, <laughs> you guys got Kevin Smith. See ya. <laughs> uh, Another question here uh, from Jay Pickett one two three. I love absolutely love low. Was there a particular inspiration for setting the post apocalypse underwater? It was uh, uh, born of watching science programs and reading uh, uh, science magazines and reading new scientists and reading about the inevitable expansion of the sun into a red dwarf star. And remembering when I was a kid, I heard that information when I was like ten. And I, and I remember going like, oh, so eventually our sun will eat the solar system and there will be nothing. So the, and, and it just blew my mind. Like, yeah. everything you know will be burnt alive in the sun. It doesn't matter that it's, whatever, 800 million years from now. The nihilism means there's a real end to Earth. And so anyway, I, I was reading about it and thought about, oh, well, humanity has hidden in the bottom of the oceans in these blast cities waiting while probes scour for inhabitable worlds – and then the metaphor of the mother rising up to get one of those probes through the darkness was uh, something that came to me while I was uh, in therapy and sort of thinking thinking of ways to express that through the character of Stell. Yeah. Uh, it feels like maybe you should be giving your therapist some residuals. You brought that yeah. up several <laughs> times. Just on the Right. Let's invite her into the stream. She's here. <laughs> I'm still hitting my kids like nothing else got. <laughs> uh, CT Kukas, Uncanny X-Force is one of the best runs of all time. Any chance of you coming back to write a new X book? Oh, yeah. No, I'm in a, I'm in a big hurry to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, it was a, it was, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I love these. It's great. <laughs> No, 
I don't like that stuff. And I really, I, I, I liked it as a kid. Here's how I described the school I was in. I grew up in the 80s. I loved Marvel Comics in the 80s. I loved the X-Men in the 80s. But by the early 90s, I had moved off into alternative comics. And my, my writing style has always been an attempt to take that love of 80s comics, uh, of mainstream Marvel 80s comics, and my love of 90s alternative stuff, and to kind of mix them together. Um, and it was a really wonderful experience to get to go to Marvel and to play with some of those toys from, from my childhood. Um, but it's not, it's not a place I belong. So uh, I, I, I was, it, was, it was a fun thing to do. I will never do it again. But that doesn't apply to Frankencastle, right? Like, you're still going to jump back on that a little bit, right? We were doing so well. Don't bring that up. I feel like, I feel like I've been exonerated by history on that one. I, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. We're just, we're just. Like, I always said, like, if you don't like Frankencastle, you don't like me as a writer. If you want the serious punisher, it's not true. Not the guy, this isn't going to work out. Like, I'm not like, everybody gets one that you don't like, but you can still love all their other work. <laughs> and people didn't like you. Like I don't, I don't personally like mind it. It's just the people who like. There are some, there are some individuals who take the Punisher very seriously. Yeah. I know. They, <laughs> this guy over here, and I'll be <laughs> you, brother. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. You know, I don't. It's clear that it was somebody who watched Death Wish. And made a comic book character based on old Chuck Bronson killing them bad guys. But I think it's gross. And I think that, you know, reading all those comics in the 80s, I'm like, did he just shoot a bunch of, like, Mexicans with dime bags of weed? What's happening here? Like, take that! Not in my seat, Puerto Rican! Uh, And the people who respond to it, some of them are wonderful. Good, political, smart. (laughs) Uh, Maybe take a little too seriously. How, how did we get here? What are we talking about? I, I, I did that. I did yeah, that. Justin's just trying to poke the bear that is Pete right there. Uh, yeah. It's all good. Uh, Mike, I love you, Pete. I'm sorry. I, I just got to say, it came up. Uh, we got into a bit of a shouting match at a, a Comic-Con one time, and it was a great kind of back and forth. But then my two core cohorts looked at me with, like, white face like what did you do to rick remender why would you say that to him i thought we were having a fun back and forth because you were clearly very smart know your stuff and i was just you know kind of I, I take i look the whole world has decided that they're going to like infer all of these really important things about superhero comic books and there's so much actual important shit that you don't <laughs> need to add in like getting mad about like the way vision and scarlet witch's headpiece was interpreted Sure. Fucking, I would never give a fuck about that. It would I never that very occur to me. The one guy, there was one guy who I was afraid of at a con, and it was like a giant, trying to think of a political way to, uh, yeah. he was a dude, Math of a person. Like, genetics were weird. What's the word for that? Um, and he was a big guy with a weird face. He was dressed like Sergeant Slaughter, and he looked like he was really mad about Frankencastle. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That was the only one. I'm like, this isn't a conversation. This guy's emotionally experienced. <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you what. This conversation seems like therapy for Pete. I think he's going to get some good comics out of yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> we do have one more question over here on YouTube. Micah Henry says, when is the Fear Agent movie coming out? I want to retire on my first prints. Uh, the Fear Agent is a, it's a TV show. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's we got Seth Rogen and, and his team and, and Matt Tolmack and, and, and his team. These are the guys behind, uh, you know, Spider-Man. the boys and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man and all these wonderful things. And we've got the director of Shazam and the writer of the new Batman movie. So uh, there's there's a, a lot of people who love wow. comics and love Fear Agent. And they are putting into this something that is um, um, what's coming out the other end, I think, is a love letter to Fear Agent. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Your fear is that uh, uh, once the team comes together, you're going to start hearing a lot of like, well, you know, what if? <laughs> and, and, and they're, they're all so smart and they know how to develop. And like, you know, I'm, I'm a hands-on uh, executive producer working on the show. And, you know, I'm working very closely with Matson and talking about, about, you know, notes on scripts and what's coming through. And I think that it's only gotten better and I think one of the things that really happened is later in Fear Agent, the humor really starts to pop. And I made, mm-hmm. I, I take a, cha- you know, I take a couple of detours into comedy town and Seth really, <laughs> really grab, grabbed onto that in the pilot and came up with some ideas that mix all of the things I discovered throughout the series into the pilot, but the comedy aspect and getting to riff with Seth and hear his ideas, I think, wow. I think people, so if everyone green lights it uh, for a series, which I'm hoping they will, I, I think that it's going to be a, a fantastic show. Just yeah. think of the Jack Daniels budget for that series. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, Jim, Jim Beam. Uh, Jim Beam, Jim Beam, Jim Beam. Very important. Uh, is there anything, I mean, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but you have all these amazing creator-owned titles. There's that have finished and like really finished their story like fear agent. But is there anything that you'd ever want to return to at any point? Anything that you're like, well, I have an inkling of maybe there's a sequel here. Yeah, of course. I, mean, I never know. <laughs> like, is it masturbatory? I feel like fear agent ends. I get, I got I, I, to this day. It's an evergreen book that still sells and people still love it. And I still have people come up to me at shows back when the world was a thing that we did. Uh, <laughs> And people still come up. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that the show is where it's at is is some of the people involved who, who have some pretty major sway had an emotional response to that ending. So when yeah. you, you know, and landing the plane is the most terrifying. You can't know after 10 years or whatever it was on Fear Agent to land the plane and have people go, yay! You go, oh! oh yeah. <laughs> Then are you going to get back in that plane and go? Let's try it again. Yeah, <laughs> same busted up plane. We got one more takeoff in us. <laughs> it's terrifying. And so I have Heath in my head. And while we're working on the pilot for the show, uh, you know, I, I we get into story sessions and I start writing new ideas. And I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, I and then I just figure like it's also there's like an integrity to having the stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that I can give somebody three giant volumes of black science and go, there's a story. And it, and it has an intention. It wasn't just me meandering. It, it does a thing, and you can see there's an intention, and it lands a plane. Um, and then, you know, like if that one gets picked up, if we, you know, working on developing that in, into TV as well, um, if that gets picked up, am I going to go, cha-ching, time for Grant McKay to fire up the door. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to get back to comics as we start to wrap up here. So with Low, Low has one issue left. Seven to Attorney has, I think, two issues left at this point. Um, so you got the scumbag potentially ongoing, but I think that's it. Uh, are there more titles coming down the pike from you that we should be looking forward to? Uh, we've got the um, the new arc of Deadly Class starting mm-hmm. in April. Um, that'll be a six-issue arc. And then... Um, the scumbag is is ongoing. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I was gonna, I was thinking I would mention something that I am doing, but I do have another book that I'm. Nah, I shouldn't announce it. Nah, hey, you can go ahead. It's fine with us. It's fine. The world's like over. The world's over. Hey, hey, buddy, that book's not coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the sun just red dwarfed, so hurry up and say your books. It's like the four of us sitting back on the Zoom call and you just holding it up page by page with the yeah. fire. <laughs> that puts behind the white wall and is exactly. the fire that's consuming our earth right now. <laughs> Uh, Rick, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations yeah, on everything. So really looking forward and nervous about the endings of Low and Seven to Eternity. Seriously. Uh, but I'm excited to check them out. Thank you for the support. It's always great talking to you guys. So uh, great. Take care of yourself. Yeah. 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 Right, Rick. All right. Rick Remender, everybody. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, that was great. Yeah. Uh, just to run down the stuff again, 7 to Eternity number 16 is coming out on January 20th. Scumbad number 4 coming out also on January 20th. Low number 26, which is the final issue, is coming out on February 3rd. And as very lightly teased, uh, more to come. Uh, so very cool stuff. Pete, you doing all right? You good? Yeah, yeah. Great <laughs> chat. I'm glad we got to talk about it. It was the elephant in the room. And, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, you know, even when we were having a fun shouting match, I mean, he is, he is a, you know, he's got a comedy mind. So he likes, uh, I mean, he's just hysterical, man. I can't imagine. He's that rare mix of someone who, um, both in person and creatively, like wears their heart on their sleeve, but still like is funny and just brings big stories with like all meaning behind them. I just love Love his work. Love talking to him. Love bringing love up Frankenstein. I would love to be a fly on the wall for his therapy sessions. I mean, that's got to be funny. <laughs> that sounds like a crazy idea. Of trust. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. We're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It is your audience questions. <laughs> And for audience questions, uh, you guys can figure this out. But if you're over on YouTube, as you already have been doing, just drop your questions in the comments. Here on Crowdcast, drop them and ask a question. And I already see a bunch piling up there. But before we get into it, what you drinking, Pete? What you drinking? What you drinking? Uh, still uh, polishing off this giant bottle of vodka. Got a little... Uh... Purple Hurry soil, up. Kool-Aid. That, that stuff goes bad fast. You got to get yeah, that. Yeah. Like Sometimes milk. you got to freeze it to keep it fresh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That stuff's like milk. Um, I'm finishing up a Miller High Life, as you uh, probably noticed. Of beers. And then, just like last week, jumping into a Dreamland Session Ooh, Sour nice. from Coney. Wow. Uh, I got myself some uh, Two Hearted Ale. Ooh, going Alex. hard, Alex. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I Honestly... Uh, it always reminds me of after when we would do live shows, we'd go over to Pioneers, get some two-hearted, good stuff. Me oh, too. Wow. And then I would be like, I drank too much on the subway ride home. <laughs> what, was, what was the beer? Uh, what was it? Uh, longboard or what was it? It was like I had that Hawaii logo on it. Yeah, Longboard. Yeah, Longboard. Longboard. That was, uh, man, we used to get those two drink tickets. Oh, oh, man. I miss that stuff. bar. Just think of all the drink tickets we've gotten over the years and all those tiny shots from that random bartender who didn't <laughs> know what he was doing. <laughs> uh, worst bartender, best guy. Free yeah, shot. exactly. Truly. Truly. Uh, let's get into some questions here. We got one from Pete's Punisher Slippers. Is the news coming out of the CW regarding Green Arrow and the Canaries, the final nail in the coffin of Pete's Arrow Corner? Any fond memories of this long-running fan favorite bit? 
<laughs> I love that this question is not about Green Arrow the Canary is not getting picked up the CW. No. It's about Pete's Arrow Corner a bit that we do on the show. Uh, that, yeah. that, that's very exciting for me. The problem well, is like, for you. we only can do Pete's Arrow Corner as the bit when Arrow is airing. So mm-hmm. now we actually have to devote time to Pete discussing Arrow every week on the show. Yeah. Oh, well, that's <laughs> great. I mean, I Go ahead, Pete. Reactions to Green Arrow and the Canaries not getting picked up. The backdoor pilot. Well, first off, I oh, want I'm to sorry. We actually have a lot of questions here. We have a lot of questions. I'm so sorry. Uh, here we go. Jay Citizen says, do you think a Star Trek show that doesn't touch the Federation could work? Interesting, Interesting. question. Um, like just a bunch of Andorans hanging out on their planet or something like that? Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say. I think like they've got so many Federation-focused stuff spinning off. I don't know how heavily people follow Star Trek on here, but they got Star Trek Discovery. They're already filming season four of that. They've got Strange New Worlds, which focuses on Captain Pike spinning out of Discovery. they got the second season of Picard. Uh, they've got an animated show called Prodigy that sounds very cool that's going to be on Nickelodeon, uh, and that focuses on a bunch of teens finding an abandoned starship and just kind of picking it up and flying it around, so that kind of touches on that. Uh, and there's also the Section 31 series they've been developing with Michelle Yeoh uh, for a while that's like the Black Ops version of Federation. But, yeah, I mean, I think there are unlimited amounts of stories they could tell in that universe, and I would be happy to watch almost whatever, personally. Well, let me, taking the opposite side, like, what is, like, the Federation is the whole thing. Like everything, mm-hmm. even the series you all you just mentioned are all like reflective of the Federation, except for maybe what Picard could have been if they didn't go the way they did. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a a story that could use the themes. Like, how do you explore the themes of Star Trek, which is about like service, exploration, um, adhering to the values of a society that has like. <laughs> Fixed itself. How do you do that without doing Federation? So this is a total side to this discussion, but uh, Nat is really fucking me up today because we keep making the same jokes uh, nonstop. We did it in Slack earlier today. We did it in the comments here. Oh, you guys uh, are so cute. I was about to say Borg workplace sitcom like office and then Nat put that in the comments. So get out of my fucking head, Nat. That's all I'm saying. Maybe you guys are switching places. I mentally. think so. Uh, I'm, I'm very weirded out about that. But I do think, like, Deep Space Nine was about the Federation, but it's something that did have to be about the Federation, you That's know? A good point. That's a good call. Yeah. So I think you could go on that, uh, particularly because you've got, like, all of these different societies and they interact aside from the Federation. There's a way to go there. Or you could follow some villains and go on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know? Oh, Star Trek, definitely known for its villains. <laughs> Everyone's like, give me more of those Star Trek villains. Yeah, what's going on with Q? They're all called Q. They could be like, Q? Q? The best part is about Star Trek villains is eventually they become just friends. Everyone. <laughs> Name, I mean, Khan, sure. But like the Borg, they end up just being like, nope, we're going to save them. They're, they're people now. Uh, Q is like, no, you're a Q now, and this guy's a Q. You're not a Q. Q's just not a, Everyone's fine. Uh, here's a question from over on YouTube that feels like a real challenge, and I'm going to go first because I have no ideas other than one. But John Dorsey says, all right, boys, top three favorite penciler inker pairs. I'm going to choose John Romita Jr. and Klaus Jensen. Now you guys go. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> I see. Um, 
that's um, what are you having a problem naming anchors? Is that what? No, happening? no, no. I'm having no problem. It's just like that's the top ones, and I'm curious to hear what your guys' choices. Um, I have I have innumerable ones. I just don't want to say them. Yes, of course. Um, Frank uh, Miller and Klaus Jansen. You're really leaning on Klaus Jansen for this whole uh, <laughs> conversation. Um, I'm going to give it up. I mean, uh, Wade Von Grauberger on um, Starman mm-hmm. is um, the anchor that I, I really loved the way that he inked. He inked a lot of that series, and especially the first big chunk of it, I thought was just um, really great. And that's half of what spoke to me about that book was it had this sort of the theme of like being obsessed with antiques and old things while also having to be in this superhero world. That was uh, I love that look. And so that would be my. Yeah, <laughs> Peter Lee back. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Pete, what's, not, what's, what's trying up? to Google some shit to spark. uh uh, some ideas, but I'm not getting any. Uh, Ramsey Assad says Jim Lee, Scott Williams were the Jordy and Jordan and Pippin of the 90s. I get half of that reference. Nice. <laughs> uh, Pippin for the musical, I yeah. think is what he's saying. Uh, no, I think that's just 100% a call for the uh, 90s, yes. Yes. Um, let's see. This is uh, from Kevin. Following up on the discussion with Rick, what are some of your favorite comic book twists or shifts that made you rethink everything you've read before in the title. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting. Twists or shifts? I mean, the typical answer is Thunderbolts after the first issue. Yeah, that twist yeah. there at the end. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, what else? Twists that made you redefine everything. I'm trying to think of, especially mainstream. Mainstream comics, it's really hard to pull off a twist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because there's, it's everything's in such stasis. I mean, um, the Green Lantern core issue. I really, I always talk about um, where um, Kyle Rayner um, uh, is 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 killed or is becomes Parallax. Um, oh yeah, that's that twist really hit me hard. Um, it made uh, me really rethink the whole the whole story. Also the uh, the Zorn twist in New X Men when mm. he's revealed to be Magneto. Spoiler, but that that title goes like way downhill into crazy typical Grant Morrison Crazy Town after that. But that reveal and how it redefines everything that happened before it is awesome. One uh, person uh, I, I I think was on the show or I talked to him at a con. Uh, Dexter vines to go back a question. Uh, I had a feeling Ed, you were doing that. Had a yeah, feeling you were... Dexter that was, the, and Ed that was Mc... the twist in this question was that you were going back to the old question. Yeah, Ed McGinnis um, uh, mm. just and Dexter Vines did some amazing kind of stuff together. So uh, that's the one I was thinking of before. Uh, cool. This is from uh, Edward Doherty. Supposedly, DC's future state is a reworked version of Dead to Dio's 5G story. Are there any abandoned ideas or premises from comics that you would like revisited, e.g. the government super team initiative from Civil War, maybe what Jeff Johns had in mind for Rebirth and Dr. Manhattan, the authority actually ruling a planet? Uh, any Any ideas like that? Things that you would want to see picked up? Uh, I mean, they... Are sort of future state. I feel like is half five G and half the Elseworlds annuals mm-hmm. um, as a thing. And I love the Elseworlds as an annual each year to really get one big story where you take the character and um, and follow them through a story that doesn't affect the continuity, but maybe reflects the current continuity, but gets into some like other genre. 
I'm glad we're talking about 5G because I had 4G and now I have 5G, mm-hmm. but I don't really see a difference. I don't know what all the fucking big I have is. LTE. Great point, Pete. Uh, and yeah. you know, I just think it's, you know. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll lay it out actually for those who don't know. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but there was this idea that Dan DiDio was really pushing called 5G that was basically looking at the D- history of the DC Universe as five different generations, hence the 5G. And the place that Dark Knight's Death Metal ends up, which is that everything counts, was essentially what 5G was supposed to do, except it was to lay out the history, so I may have the years wrong, but that Batman was first, uh, he was in the 40s or 50s, and then was very old at this point, so there was a new Batman, Superman, oh no, sorry, Superman was first, he was in the 30s, then Batman was in the 40s, then Wonder Woman in the 50s, I think, uh, and they actually aged in time, so you would see a new Batman, a new Superman, potentially Superman would still be around, Wonder Woman would still be around, etc., Future state is kind of a different thing, uh, but yeah. yeah, it definitely feels like it's reusing some of those ideas potentially or some of those designs. I also feel like, uh, and I don't know how much people have read the books from Future State that are coming out today, and I know this is side to the question, uh, question, but it definitely feels like they're heading towards something, and I feel like, could be wrong about this, we're very early in the going now, but it feels like this is the sort of thing where it's like a warning for the DC Universe. We're going to see some of these villains that they're mentioning, some of these things, these themes pop up past the future state months, and it'll be like, well, can they prevent this from happening? Yeah, I think that's a good call, because it definitely feels like a lot of the future state books are about how the bad guys won, mm-hmm. and the, the heroes are in a place where they're, they've are they gotten away from their core philosophies, um, and it's about maybe them trying to get back on track or something like that. Uh, and to get back to the question, this is kind of jumping off of what you said, Justin, but... Uh, I used to love annual crossovers back in the day, like legit uh, ones. The Vibranium Vendetta, my man. Atlantis uh, <laughs> Attacks. All that stuff is great, and I feel like they have to do it where they tried going over four or five titles, so it was a mini crossover. I love collecting all of them. That was so much fun. I like read- them all. Well, and reading all these teams that I never read before to complete the story be like, oh, that title's good. I like that. Let me check that out, which is the whole point, but that was fun. And I also, the the sort of the storytelling format where it was like hero dealing with the situation and then something goes wrong and they're like, I better call Daredevil. And then you see Daredevil show up and then you just follow the book over there. The Korvac saga was another one, maybe mm-hmm. that same year, that was really good, a very intense story uh, crossing over into to those different different titles. That, I don't, it was also like jumping around to some titles where it was like, these heroes have no business being around each other. So it's cool <laughs> that they get to hang out. Yeah. Uh, here we go. This is from uh, Joe. Having binged all of Cobra Kai, thanks to y'all for raving about it, and just oh, recently yeah. rewatched all the Star Wars prequels. How is it Cobra Kai feels so very much thematically like Star Wars? Interesting. Mm. Uh, Justin, have you watched? You have not watched Cobra Kai, right? I haven't watched Cobra Kai yet. You got no. a giant cobra on your shirt. Come on, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm You're advertising I'm, it. Yeah. Uh, this is a Cobra Kai uh, t-shirt. No, I'm Cobra like G.I. Joe. So there's a lot of ways to be a bad guy and be a Cobra. Yeah, I mean, I think they've, in a Check very out, like broad it. way... <laughs> I want to. It's uh, There's a lot of TV going. Uh, in a very broad way, they've definitely built it up as like Cobra Kai, the Sith, and uh, Miyagi-Do is kind of like the... 
uh, Jedi. I don't know why I'm blanked on Jedi. Uh, and you got Greece is like... <laughs> That's the one too many things. It's too many terms at the same time. Crease uh, is kind of like the Emperor, so I, I, can, yeah. I can basically see that. Like, I can understand that. Um, they've definitely... I would say, as somebody who vaguely remembers the Karate Kid movies, mostly for glory of love, and that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. um, they definitely mythologized everything there really well and built up whatever you can do with the mythology about teen karate people fighting each other. Um, Pete, anything additional as the other person who watches it? Yeah, I, I, I definitely see what, what they're saying about the Star Wars thing, but unlike the Star Wars thing, I think uh, they're doing it in a really smart way. It wasn't... Uh, it, they kind of wrote it in a way that really made sense and uh, wasn't a letdown or upsetting. How many metachlorians did the characters have? Well, I mean, it, you know, I mean, that's how... How many fights do you really do? You count all the people that are there. I mean, the my, my favorite part of Star Wars, obviously, is the Metachlorian count of the different characters. Sure. So uh, I'm just curious what the Metachlorian count of our heroes. You have that Ranker, right, Justin? Yep. Uh, uh-huh. I own the website Ranker, and I have it mostly focus on blood testing <laughs> other fictional characters to find out what their Metachlorian count. Is. <laughs> uh. Uh, my favorite thing is where you uh, rank the midichlorian count of the characters in ter- <laughs> terms of endearment. Yes. <laughs> hard. Hard. Uh, and it's hard with, like, I'm getting into, like, the crown. And also diners, drive-ins, and dive. It's hard to rank the midichlorians. Guy Fieri, off the charts, just dripping midichlorians. His hair is not dyed. That's just midichlorians falling out <laughs> of his head. Trying to sneak out of his head. It's just, like, on fire. <laughs> uh, Follow-up on... YouTube, Ramsey Hassan says, what classic film would you like to see as a TV show Cobra Kai style? Uh, this is a, perhaps a bad answer, but it's one of the properties that hasn't Star been touched Wars. yet. Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I never thought about doing a Star Wars TV show. Uh, no, Gremlins. When are the Gremlins coming uh, back? They're doing that. We talked to uh, Say Chan about that on our show. He's doing uh, the Legends of the Mogwai show for HBO Max that's been in development for a while. Um, I'm very excited about that. But I yeah. think, like, that's going to be great as an animated show. Very excited to see what he's going to do. Uh, but also, yeah, live action. Let's get more Gremlins of the, up in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pete, what about you? Jeez, uh, I mean, so many great uh, stuff. You know, I would like to see, you know, the movie Rad, you know, really dissect that and kind of mm-hmm. turn that into like a three or four season arc. You know, I mean, those paper out <laughs> kids are just, uh, that's just comedy gold right there. You know, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, this is one another one that's happening, but I am very nervous and excited for the Alien TV show to see what Noah yeah. Hawley is going to do with that. Yeah. Uh, that's one that like, I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. Yes. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, non-racist Goonies would be fun. Oh, yeah. C.T. Cook over here says Goonies TV show. Uh, that, that would be fun. Huge opportunity. Uh, question. Another question from Joe. Pete, who's more fun to argue with, Dan Slott or Rick Remender? Uh, actually, if you could rank all the people you like to yell at on our show. <laughs> <that'd> be- <laughs> <laughs> I got to uh, think we, we're pretty high on the list, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, they're both really great. Um, uh, I really appreciated how much uh, Remender was kind of opening up and sharing things. I thought that was really fun. 
Um, so I would just after I'm still riding high in this interview, so I would maybe rank uh, Remender above Slot. But uh, you know, we've had a lot of fun with Slot, and he admits that he drinks uh, uh, people's tears and uses that as fuel. So. <laughs> I've got a couple more questions about Rick Remender here, uh, coincidentally. Pablo T. Martinez says, what's the best and worst thing you've seen in a Rick Remender comic? Um, I think uh, for... I can't believe you put that shit panel up while we were talking to him. It was an accident. <laughs> I saw it coming. Out, Alex. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I should flip. It was an accident, Alex. Yeah, he didn't mean to do it. Uh, well, I was just. Uh, I got. I saw it coming in the pages, and I was like, uh, "Do I flip ah. by this quickly, which is going to look weird, or do I sit on it?" You sat on it. Are you describing sitting, or are you talking yeah. about the panel? I mean, fifty-fifty. Yeah. Oh my god. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean that's honestly the thing where it's just. It's very funny and it's gross, but it's like a little too touch, much for me. I'm not really into fecal humor, so that's probably oh, okay, Mister Class Act. Can't he deal with a little poopy pants? <laughs> Sorry, bud. Uh, Fear Agent, though, just overall is so phenomenal. I mean, that was we talk about this a bunch, but that was one of the first titles with the show that we yeah. followed incessantly and harped up constantly. Uh, and it's great. Uh, that's one that I'd really like to revisit at some point when I have time, because I haven't read it in a while. I know. I haven't read it in a long time, too. And uh, especially the show, it's just based on the way he was talking about it, feels closer to maybe happening, and then we might mm-hmm. actually get to see it as a series. So great, great revisit. I mean, it, it's hard. The the only thing I would say, I love uh, Rick's work. And the things that are, are hardest to watch or to read are just when he – gets you with a character yeah when the like i feel like the last down. the last 10 issues of low i feel like it's like oh great it's gonna work out and then he just punishes you and punishes <laughs> you uh he just frankencastles and frankencastles you over and yeah. over again you know yeah. sure does yeah you mean does a great story that's exactly oh. what, that's what frankencastle means no uh, follow up here this is from uh, josh who is your favorite remender character who oh, good question tough Tough question. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, I don't know. I mean, I know he was kind of down on his Marvel stuff, but his uh, it was Fantabax, right? He wrote in Uncanny X Force. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes. Just really good take on that character. It was funny how down on <laughs> uh, his Marvel work he was. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Fear Agent is probably the one that I feel like I... He feels like a person to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, the way we got to read every side of him and sort of really... He was such a singular character in that story, as opposed to so many other um, books that he's worked on have multiple characters that are all great, but you really just feel every bit of Fear Agent um, the whole time. Yeah. Pete, you got one? Or are you I'm looking, trying to look up. Uh, again? Yeah, the... Well, I would say John Romita Jr. and Klaus Jansen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the biker, I'm trying to look up the, I can't, I'm blanking on the name of the biker dude in Tokyo Ghost was such a... Uh, oh, yeah, movie. he was super cool. He's yeah. very good. Yeah. Well, uh, while you're looking that up, I'm going to go over to, excuse me, some questions over on YouTube. Uh, Scott Carpenter says, is Ice Cream Man TV show going to be on Roku? Uh, all the Queeby stuff is moving over to Roku, but they never did it, right? Yeah, I don't think it was made. Led Dent, that's his name. Ah, that was a good uh, 
character. Uh, Scott Carpenter also asks, what's your record for hours spent reading comics in a day? Uh, I would say from waking to sleep. I don't know how many hours that is, but there's definitely been days. Wait, all you did was read comics a whole day? There were... So particularly when I was younger, when I was sick Ah. at home, I had my comics and like in boxes, obviously, but I had them in my closet and like... I would stumble over to the closet, get my favorite comics, and just... Were you drunk? It's drunk. Yeah, but I was like 12 and drunk. You know what I'm talking about. I was sick, hungover. Uh, But no, (laughs) I I would seriously just like read through my favorite runs over and over and over again um, all day long. And that was the thing that mostly made me feel better. Oh, look at you. Wow. Um, I... I probably like the longest I've sat uninterrupted and read comics, probably four or five hours. I maybe I'm trying to think of something we've done where we had to just sit and read for an extended time. Um, Pete, what about you? What's your record? Five days or something like that? No, I mean, I, I can't, uh, if I read too long of it, it just gets a little too (laughs) kind of crazy. I can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta like, you gotta read comics for a while, pepper it with watching literally the entire fucking season of Luke Cage, then some more comics, then you come back, watch all of Luke Cage season two, then you watch Ted Lasso a bunch of times, then you read some more sure. comics. Yeah. You gotta really break it up. I feel yeah. like Ted Lasso is like a little infection in your brain, Pete, and it's still, it's like jabbing all the other memories out of the way, and all eventually you'll only be able to well, think that's the Ted thing Lasso. about something that's like new and great. It kind of does do that. I mean, when you guys were talking about how like hope is, you know, I thought of Ted Lasso losing his shit about how it's the hope that kills. You know, that was like a whole kind of theme for one of his episodes, and I was like, holy shit. So, yeah, it it does. When something's great, it does occupy a lot of space in my brain. Mm -hmm. But I would just say, like, I've definitely stayed up uh, and done, like, sleepovers as a kid where all we did was read comics. But I still don't think I went more than five hours. I mean, because we would, you know, eat sugary cereals and fucking binge comics. But I feel like I could still only go, like, five or so without having to eat Well, that's because Ted Lasso didn't exist back then. Yeah, it's a pre-PL environment, pre-Lasso. <laughs> uh, this is a question from Stray Bullet, a uh, more serious one. But since the attendance... Wait, wait. Key- oh, yes. Why? Please give him our, the official title. You can't just say Stray Bullet. He's uh, oh, Club. official yeah. chef of Comic yeah, Book thank Club. You. Uh, this is, that's relevant to what he's about to ask. Uh, since the attempted coup at the Capitol, a few comic book industry guys have come out to say that Marvel should retire the Punisher for a bit because so many of the mouth breathers sporting the classic skull. I know this is a touchy subject, but are they right? Um, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, Pete, you go. You go first. I, yeah, I, was, I saw that, and I was just like, you can't go back to the days of burning books because there was a book that had something bad in it. You know, you have to be able to uh, disassociate and let things kind of be in their place. For me, and, you know, things are different for different people. You know, I, I don't know the kind of mentality it would take to go and fight in a real war. But for me, like having violence in comics is a safe place where I can kind of feel and work out some anger in a way that isn't can stay there and not harmful to the people around me. 
but I don't know what it's like for other people. So it's very hard for me to speak on this. But I do know that I know the difference between what's on a page and what is real life. Um, so, uh, you know, they might be, you know, I'm not kind of the, the, the demographic for this. But I just think that, like, you're, you're, that's a slippery slope because when do you stop then saying, well, this comic did this one time, so it should be gone too, you know? Well, I'll tell you what. If a bunch of people wearing a Spider-Man logo uh, took over the Capitol and tried to kill people in Congress, I feel like I might feel a little waffly about that one as well. Well, and uh, yes, um, but I but think can you blame Spider-Man for what somebody else this does? This is not a bla- about blaming a fictional character. Buddy. Okay, he's fictional, Punisher fictional. <laughs> uh, I I think the big thing is like if I'm someone, say you're say you're taking over writing the Punisher today, and you're a a good person that doesn't want to exacerbate these tensions. I feel like you need to, as just as a creative person, be like, how do I distinguish this character? Why, why do these people idolize this character? And how do I make sure that this character is not that? How do I distinguish this character from what these people are taking from it? And, and you, and using it as a badge of honor to do horrible things. And I, I do think there's, there's a lot of Punisher stories out there. There are some good ones. There are many that are just very simplified, like, I just want to shoot people because I'm mad. And I think the character can be more nuanced than that if it's... I mean, the character is basically Batman, but he shoots people. Like, it's one step away from Batman. Um, It's slightly different origin, but it's about having a horrible loss and then dedicating your life to a crusade that is... um, that's the superpower is being obsessed with something and people, people aren't wearing Batman ears and going and committing these uh, horrible crimes on mass. And the Punisher logo, it has become a symbol for that. So I think you got to pull it back, re figure out what, what it means to what the Punisher means in the end this time. Uh, Pete's Punisher Slippers does make a good point where it's like, so not a story where the Punisher just mows down uh, MAGA hat wearing people? But that's that's doing the same thing that made the Punisher what it is. I, I think the main thing, you know, even as somebody who is not the hugest fan of the Punisher, seeing folks with that symbol and also seeing people running around with... Civil War sweatshirts that were based on the Captain America Civil War logo. Uh, That sucks. Like, I hate seeing that stuff. Uh, Obviously, there are things that are way worse that happened that day. But seeing that stuff come out as a comic book fan, it drives me up the wall and is infuriating because it feels to me like these people, very obviously... Not only didn't read the comics, which I could allow, like, sure, fine, you haven't read every Punisher comic, that's okay, you are a terrible person who is adopting the symbol and don't understand everything about the character. Okay, we can kind of move beyond that. But, like, it's pretty easy to watch Captain America Civil War, and I'm sure a bunch of those people did, and they took no lessons from anything that any of the heroes did in those movies at any point ever. And that is infuriating to me. Uh, That's, you know, I was making this joke about the Spider-Man logo, but it's like... People just don't pay attention to these things. They watch them, they consume them, and they're like, Civil War, that's the thing. It's the same thing. I know people are railing us and talking about political stuff, but, you know, fuck it, whatever. But, like, it's the same thing as, like, Trump putting up the thing before the election where he was on Thanos. He was uh, superimposed. He was on Thanos doing the snap. And everybody was like, 
That's five seconds before he dissolves at the end of Endgame. What is wrong with you? Watch a movie all the way through. Like, don't turn it off at that point. He did the same thing with Game of Thrones where he's like, I'm a white walker. Let's bring down this wall. Like, you're the bad guy, idiot. I, I like I like that you're mad at you're mad at these people for not being completists, not like finishing the, It's not even completists, it's like watch five minutes more of the thing that you're talking about, or like be specific of the reference you're doing. And I think the problem is that this is a twofold problem. The the first part of the problem is that they're using the Punisher symbol and don't quite understand what it means in terms of the movie and the comics. They're just using it broad strokes. The second part, which is far more important, is Disney, Marvel, and by extension Disney, is doing nothing about it. Nothing. They're just letting it go because they clearly do not legally want to get involved in this. They don't want politically to get involved yeah. in this. They don't want people to shoot back at them quite literally and I get that in a certain sense, but in another sense, they have to do something and they have to say something. They have to, like, if it's not suing every person individually, the, the artists are right. Just, like, change the symbol a little bit. If you can't come out there and make a public statement for whatever reason, which is Ike Perlmuter, that is the specific reason, just change the fucking symbol a little bit and make it subtler. And have have Frank Castle, who at his core, the heroic aspects of his character, he's he would not agree with this. He's someone you have a story where he tears off the logo and is like, "This is this yeah, but isn't that's me." Not change. Well, but they did that. Matthew Rosenberg yeah, did, did that in a title yeah. where he went up to the cops and he's like. No, you yeah. are not me. Don't use this symbol. What's wrong with you? Yeah. They're not going to read those books. Like, I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate it, but that's I, not I'm just saying, I, I'm not talking about fixing the world. I'm talking about fixing the character. Talk uh, about far, fixing the world. We got to do the that. World? Fixing the world, I think, you can't. It is 8.30 on a Tuesday. We have, like, half an hour left of the show. Tops. We got to fix the world before we're fix done here, world. Justin. You, you can't stop people from putting a logo on their shirt if they're just regular people, but you cops should not have the Punisher logo. They should, that should be a mandate that happens uh, across the board. The Punisher logo is being used as a symbol to have of hate and danger. And it's not something you want a law enforcement person to be like, look, I kill people. That's my thing. Like that should not be a thing. So that's the change that I think should be made in the world in the character. I think the character can move forward if change, if he changes his tack. Or just yeah. stop publishing him, honestly. Oh, that sorry. Was, <laughs> like, that was, honestly, that was my main reaction. Is like, That's but, one asshole ruining things for, well, it's more one asshole, but it's people ruining things for other people, and it's, it's, it's hard to do that. But I would I, argue, on top of what you're saying, Alex, I would argue that's sort of a cowardly way out, because that's just mm-hmm. being like, well, you don't know. And it's like, write your way out of it. Fix this. If you believe in this, fix it. Like, it's a fixable thing. Here's what I would say. If there is something to show that, like, what they are doing with the Punisher isn't right, one thing they could do is have, like, a Wolverine clone on a wolf, uh, on a rooftop, kind of, like, slice him into little pieces, and then he joins up with some monsters <laughs> to sew him back together, and he becomes some sort of Frankenstein's monster That's... who uh, realizes, oh, actually, I was the monster the whole time, and it's really nuanced and layered, but fun at the same time. That would be great. I mean, joking aside, and I'm not trying to troll Pete, but that is a viable solution. <laughs> that is not a viable solution. It's reliving a nightmare. And uh, those pe- that's not going to make a difference to people take what they want from shit. I, I was once uh, uh, worked at Showtime at the Apollo. There was this giant bouncer who I called the Punisher because he would always wear the Punisher hat like a scully on his head. 
and he thought it was a cool nickname. And then we both realized that neither one of us were kind of on the same page with it. And when I explained who the Punisher was to this person, he could give a shit. He liked the skull. He likes skulls. It's a cool <laughs> logo, so he's gonna rock it, and it's intimidating. So I couldn't tell him shit. You know what I mean? So like, you know, yeah. Well, you don't have to make people who don't know what they're doing do it. It's the people who are in- using it as a symbol of of danger and, and hate. Uh, all right. Well, that was obviously a very tense question. Uh, let's move on to another one. Uh, what is your favorite type of fruit? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Now we're going to get into it. Great. Uh, Obviously, grapefruit. Fruit check. Dude, uh, fuck grapefruit. <laughs> man, they're fucking awful. I fucking hate grapefruit. I love grapefruit. I had one, a whole one this morning. I peeled uh, it and ate it what? slice by slice. Oh, God what damn a it. You what a waste. You son of a bitch. Uh, Eduardo says, do you think the new MCU Disney Plus shows will create more opportunities for better tie-in comics? Uh, that's mm. interesting. I, I wonder, I, I, Eduardo. I don't know if you could specify the comics, but comments, excuse me. But are you talking about Marvel has published these MCU comics that often feel like, here we go, we're teeing up Avengers Endgame. It is a recap of what happened previously. <laughs> what I like the, about the opportunity here is to get comics comic stories rooted in comic continuity that use these characters it's like the black widow title that's coming out right now which is great it uses black widow because it was tied to when the black widow movie was going to come out and it's uh it's great to see a good new black widow title so if we can get some good um scarlet witch and uh vision comics um very excited so i mean i don't know if disney plus would ever do this i'm going to talk about Justin's going to really razz me here for talking about saying something nice about HBO Max, but they have, I've been watching Search Party, and before Search Party, and they do the same thing with a bunch of uh, shows, they have like a five-second thing that rolls before it. So like before Search Party, it's usually either season four coming soon, or they'll plug the fact that they have an official Search Party podcast. And again, it's just like a slightly moving title card, and that's it. It struck me they could be doing the same thing for comics, for shows. Like, they could be rolling Harley Quinn comics before the Harley Quinn show, Doom Patrol before the Doom Patrol show. I would love that if they did that on Disney Great Plus idea. before WandaVision. Just, like, have five seconds where it's, like, Vision by Tom King and, uh, what's his name, Gerard Von Wadigrogger. I don't but, know. Oh, you definitely nailed that. Me? You nailed that. Excuse me? <laughs> you talking about Mitch Gerard? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard someone go from talking to not talking that quickly. I feel like you just DA, you became a baby. You just babied yourself. Your beard sucked into your face and you babied it. Man, I really felt like I was making a good point too. And then I uh, it was good. It was good. <laughs> I would love to see that. Like, more than creating these uh, awkward tie-in comics, I'd love them to plug the comics more, is my point. Uh, 100% agree. I agree with everything you see. Yeah, I just think at the end of every show, it should just say, like, read comics, assholes. You always just fade out. Oh, <laughs> read comics, assholes. Uh, wait, we got a question from YouTube. Justin, what is the red thing behind you on video right now? Uh, that's some rope. 
Just a random rope. Oh <laughs> my god! You got rope to tie people up there. It's a coil of rope. I don't know why. I didn't put it there to be like, look, look at this rope. Look at all this rope I got. It's just someone put it there in my house. I don't know. This someone. is a this is a little workshop area. There's uh, tools. There's like uh, costumes I've worn for characters I've done. There's the candle I made for the Star Wars show that I did. <laughs> it's a stupid little gallery. It's like my back cave, except nothing's it's a big It's a little penny. weird where you're like, oh, it's just some rope. Over here is some shears. Uh, these are zip ties and this is some chloroform. What? It's a basement. What? Uh, here's a large tub full of some ice. These are victims. Uh, first hand up guy says, which Rick Remender series do you recommend starting with if you haven't read a lot of Remender? Fear Agent. Ooh. Fear Agent. Um, Fear Agent is a good answer, um, but I would also say Tokyo Ghost mm-hmm. um, because you, that is a shorter series and it's, um, it's great. Uh, truly, I guess any of them. Mm. Uh, Right now, my, what is your favorite? What are your favorite Rick Remender series right now? I mean, I think I, I would recommend Deadly Class. Like, I've had some issues yeah. with it in the past where it just hasn't really focused on the core concept at all. But the art is so good, and the writing is so good, and the characters are so much fun. Um, that's a great one to start off with as well. No, but which one are you? What is your favorite right now? If you had to pick one, um, Seven to Eternity, I think. Uh, it's Jerome Opeña is, I think, the artist, yep. and it's stunning. Uh, so it's good. also just such a focused fantasy story. Um, like you were saying, just in terms of digestible, the fact that it's going to go 17 issues of that, that's it, is real good. Uh, Low is my favorite right now, but um, shout out to Ben the Border Collie. It is maybe the least accessible, uh, which is yeah. fair. It's dense, but it's so good. Yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, right now um, it's seven to eternity, but Tokyo Ghost and Fear, uh, Fear Agent, or but like Deadly Class is like Black Science, great story. I, Deadly Class, I thought was really great, and then it got really got into the TV show, and then went back to the book, and it made the book so much more enjoyable for me. Uh, let's move over to Randolph's question. This is right back in my wheelhouse of uh, Duncan on HBO Max. Do any of you think that going to HBO Max instead of Netflix hurt Katie Keene? One hundred percent, definitely, absolutely. Well, that's not Katie Keene's fault. No, it's not Katie Keene's fault at all. At all. But to give you guys uh, the rundown of it, uh, HBO Max launched, and they had this deal. CW shows went to Netflix. The CW shows that did go to Netflix are still kind of grandfathered in, where they're still probably going to go there, though I believe they're renegotiating the deals year by year. Uh, but any new CW shows went right straight to HBO Max. That includes Batwoman and Katie Keene. Batwoman did really well with streaming, but it also did well on air. Katie Keene didn't do well on air, but they were looking at the streaming numbers. There is no way that Katie Keene was going to match the streaming numbers that they needed at the beginning of HBO Max's launch. That just wasn't going to happen. If it went to Netflix, maybe there would have been a chance. I think people would have cut on, uh, but HBO Max, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, that cake was baked a long time ago. Um, And really, I think... That would have helped, and maybe it could have uh, relaunched it or brought it back. But I think it's just not enough people watched it when it was on air. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, they wanted to bring it back. They liked it creatively. It's just monetarily yeah. it didn't make sense, which is, uh, which is a huge bummer. Great show. Uh, this is uh, from First Stand Up Guy. Is it even possible to get into DC continuity these days? It seems so complicated. Let me say, um, agree, but future state isn't, you don't need to know the continuity if you know that the continuity doesn't matter when you're going in. I feel like the the books they've released, there's a lot going on, but if you don't know the continuity, the books are still enjoyable to to read, if that makes sense. You just need to know that you don't need to know it. I, I am curious to see what happens after Future State, given that everything counts. So we talked about this on the stack a little bit with Dark Knight's Death Metal. Uh, it breaks my brain a little bit to think about what is Superman thinking right now? Like, what does he know about his continuity? What is now? Superman thinking right You're now? Like, what's, what's up with him? him? What's Just up with him? Are with you him? The S stands what for is, hope. What is the S stands for hope. I want to know. <laughs> we don't get enough full head, full frame head. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, I'm curious about that. But to your point, yeah, you can jump right into the future state stuff. And I'll tell you what, I think that's a good place to wrap up the audience questions and Woo-hoo. move on to our next section, which is trivia. For that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. Pete LePage. All right, the star uh, of trivia. This is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win twenty-five free dollars in the form of a gift card to Midtown Comics. You can buy comics online and be safe. Who would like twenty-five free dollars? Simply put your hand up. Yes, all you have to do is say hands up or me or something in the comments, either on YouTube or on Crowdcast, and basically you're going to walk away with twenty-five bucks. Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so anybody who wants to do it, just jump on in. And you can challenge Pete to a battle to the death. <laughs> anybody. Absolutely anybody. Over on YouTube, too. Just say me or hand raise. This is like pulling teeth is what this is. I mean, I said I would do it, but... Oh, here we go. Randolph. Randolph. All right, I'm going to write you on screen, Randolph, so we can get this going. Pete, you ready to do some trivia? Oh, yeah. yeah Pete, why don't Are you we finding out who trivia? it's going to be about? Was it about, oh, is it Chadwick Boseman again? No, no, it's a different one each time. Oh, interesting. Sorry, Mike. Why don't you set up trivia right now while we're waiting for Randolph to enter the stream? All right, great. Yeah, so today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend Brian Dennehy. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, Pete, this is going to be a fun series of random things. I love. Hello, how are you? Uh, so he's going to ask you some questions, and then at the end, we're going to give you twenty-five dollars, which is pretty cool. So I'll let Pete take it away. Uh, you got a cool room, man. Just want to put that out there. Thank you. All right. So listen to the question, then listen to all three possible answers. Uh, get all three questions right. Twenty-five dollars will be yours. Okay, question number one. What new Gotham City hero has been delayed five months? Is it A, Whistle, B, Whistler, or is it C, Francesca P. Roberts? So it's either A, and you're on your way towards $25, or you could be completely wrong. I'll go with that A or Whistle. Whistle is correct. Yeah, don't overthink these. Nice job. 
Question number two, who returns to the spotlight in the Mighty Valkyrie's title? Is it A, Frog Thor, B, Jane Foster, or is it C, Robert Laloja? <laughs> so it's either A, don't pick it, or it's B, which makes sense. Yeah, nice. There you that go. is correct. Love the All double right. L you throw on Robert Loja's name. Oh, you got to. You got to put a little La Loja. You got to put the Loge. You know what I mean? All right, so La last one. Marvel is revisiting the Clone Saga with blank. Is it A, Spider-Ham, B, Miles Morales, or is it C, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> so it's A is tempting, but don't pick it. Or is it go with the, Yeah, my boy at Miles Morales. Yeah, you, you are correct. Yes. Well Congratulations. Done. You have won $25 gift card to Midtown Comics. Just shoot us an email at comicbookclublive at gmail.com. We'll get that right off to you. A lot of Rand- love, a lot of love in the comments for your um, your decor, Randolph. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah. Where are you where are you coming at us from? Uh, Virginia, Richmond. Richmond. Oh, yeah. nice. nice. Love the Mohawk Storm. Very cool. Oh, nice. uh, Randolph, have a great night. Thanks so much oh. for playing. You as yeah, well. Take care. Right. Uh, All right. And, Good stuff. Uh, so yes, to- I was looking for a Kev, but maybe he passed out. So uh, it's not the Gladiator. It was the Gladiator before Gladiator is the movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. 92 Gladiator starring Brian Dennehy. Dennehy has lightened up in the comments. Everyone's crazy about Dennehy. They're Dennehyed right now. <laughs> They're Denneheads. Oh. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? I mean, uh, top boy, come on! As we all know, tomorrow is New Comic Book Day, unless we're talking about DC Comics. They're already on stands. But what are you guys looking forward to Pete. Oh, well, I am looking forward to uh, Big Girls, number six. Mm. Uh, What I'm not looking forward to and what I'm very scared of is um, Ha Ha, number one. Mm. Ha Ha, number one is the new title from Image Comics by W. Maxwell Prince, writer of Ice Cream Man, which we've been huge fans of. It was our number one comic book of 2020. Uh, yes, so in our count, special countdown episode. Yeah, so it should be interesting to talk about that in the Stack Podcast, which comes out tomorrow on the Comic Book Club feed and also in its own dedicated feed. Justin, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to HaHa ha number one as well, but I'm looking forward to Homesick Pilots number two. Um, the first issue was great about a small town um, band um, that it goes into a haunted house um, sort of separately and that shit happens. This book is taking big swings, dealing with some uh, just great small town uh, musician shit as well as some great uh, ghost horror stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to King and Black Thunderbolts number one. It's by Matthew mm. Rosenberg, who always oh, writes Rosenberg. super fun stuff. So Berg, I'm excited right? to check that out. And as mentioned, Bergy. check out <laughs> all, all of that stuff uh, in our Stack podcast tomorrow. Uh, and folks, I think that is it for the show. Now let's tour around for a little bit. Okay, long. a couple more hours. I think so. We really got to solve this whole problem in America thing before yeah. we wrap up here. I think we made a lot of progress. Today. I think we definitely did too. A couple of people want to thank. We want to thank Claudia Gray for coming on the show. Check out House of L on stands yeah. now. Also, Rick Remender. Check out the Scumbag Seven to Eternity, Low Deadly Class, all of that good stuff. Next Move week, we're to Germany. Watch the uh, Deadly Class TV. Series. 
series. It's yeah. crushing over there. Uh, next week, we have another fun show. Jen McKay is going to be here to talk about yes. Black Cat. One, one of, of my favorite, favorite titles. Books. Also, Jim Zub, a.k.a. Zubhub, is going to be Zub here Hub. to talk about uh, Conan the Bardar- Barbarian. Uh, so great stuff for Pete. Great stuff for Justin. Should be fun. couple of podcasts. Alex nothing. I get nothing other than the joy of your presence. A uh, couple of things to talk about. Uh, we have a new podcast called Marvel Vision. We started rolling out this week. I don't know. Uh, but we're going to be talking about WandaVision. We're going to be talking Why about Captain uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to be talking about Loki. Uh, that is going to be in its own dedicated feed. Uh, the feeds are getting set up now, but check that out. Also, Chilling Podcast of Sabrina. We just finished up the final season of that, so check out that podcast. Umbrella Podcademy. Umbrella Academy podcast is coming back this week. We've got two episodes taped already. We're plugging through it. We're doing it. The American Godcast, our American Gods podcast, is running on Sunday night, so check that out. Yeah. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and more. Good night! Wade Von Grabber. Burp, burp. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.